One of the best things we can do to live our life is to examine how other people have lived theirs. When we look at people who are very successful and we examine how they lived their life, what the things they did right, there's a lot that we can learn from them. And in the same way, we can look at people who made mistakes, huge moral failures, and learn from them as well. A smart man learns from his own mistakes and a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And this is the beauty of a good mentor. The mentor doesn't just tell you, hey, you got to do this and you got to do that. He rather, he says, this is what I did wrong and I want you to avoid it so that you can kind of save that time, save that step and, and skip over it and just go on to the lessons that I learned from it. In the Bible, there are so many lessons to learn from the characters of the Bible who did things right, who did things wrong. And there's only a few characters in the Bible where nothing wrong is really written about them. Other than being a bratty teenager, there's nothing bad written about Joseph in the few chapters that details his life. He lived a very honorable, integritous life. Of course, I'm sure he wasn't perfect. He wasn't the perfect man. But as the biblical, as far as the biblical text is concerned, nothing was written about him that was bad. No sins, no moral failures, nothing like that. In fact, quite the opposite. And there's a lot that we can learn from his life. In Genesis chapter 39, you know, we're talking about lust and sexual temptations. So you already know where this story is going to go. Joseph and Potiphar's wife. That's the title of this, this chapter. But to give you some context, Joseph has been sold into slavery by his jealous brothers. So he shows up in Egypt and he has now been given over, sold to Potiphar an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard. And he has been put in charge of Pharaoh's house. So that's what we're going to pick up in verse 2. 39, chapter 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph so that he became a prosperous man. He was in the land or he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did prosper. Joseph found favor in his sight and served him so that he made him an overseer of his house. And all that he had Speaking of Pharaoh, he put under Joseph's charge. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on the account of Joseph. So the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge and he had no concerns regarding anything except the food that he ate. It's kind of crazy to think about how a foreign official, a higher up, is trusting so much to a foreign slave somebody who was sold to him, somebody who has every right to be angry, to, to be kind of pissed off, and maybe even retaliate against his master. But that's not the case that we see here. The, the boss recognizes that, hey, there's something special about this kid. God is with him. And anything that this kid touches turns to gold. He's got, the, he's got that Midas touch. Anything that he does prospers. Any little thing. She, uh, that song comes to mind. Anyway, that's where we're at. And at the end of verse 6, there's a, little, there's a little statement there that kind of seal is like the cherry on top. Not only is Joseph a hard worker, not only does everything that he touched turns to gold, not only is everything in the house and in the field prospering, not only does his boss trust him and speak really highly of him, Joseph was handsome and well-built. This boy is not just, has good character, this, this, this cat is looking good, right? He's handsome and well-built, and that does not go unnoticed. In verse 7, after a time, the master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, sleep with me. But he refused. And he said to his master's wife, my master doesn't concern himself with anything concerning me in the house. 
and he has committed all that he has to my charge. There is none greater in this house than me, and he has kept nothing back from me but you, because you're his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Let's hold it right there. Let's let's stop it right there for today. And I want to focus on that last sentence he said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph really baffles me in a way. I really want to meet Joseph whenever I cross that golden river and get to the other side. I want to talk to him because being a young teenager, being a young 20-year-old or however, you know, I think he was maybe 17, 18 as he was sold into slavery, a young teenage, don't quote me on that, but a young teenage boy, something in his early childhood solidified his relationship with God so strongly that even when he was in another foreign country, away from his father, away from his brothers, away from every religious influence that he would have positively on his life. He's in a foreign country with a, a, a country now that ha, that sees the Pharaoh as God, the main God, and then has a, a litany of other gods underneath him. That's the country that he is now serving. He's got to learn a new language. He's got to learn a new culture. He's got to learn all these new things. But even in the middle of all of that, he doesn't waver from his faith in God. And as a young guy, you know, I look back at myself as a young kid. I, I don't see, I, I didn't have that. And I, I look at him and I kind of marvel. I'm like, man, what was it about his childhood, his early teenage periods that solidified him to God so strongly? Because in verse 9, when she says, hey, sleep with me, he doesn't say, no, nah, I'm going to lose my job. Are you crazy? If I do this, Potiphar's going to, he's going to, he's going to fire me. I can't lose my job right now. This is the only thing I have here in this foreign country. I came here from a, you know, from another country. This is all I got. Worse than that, you know. Potiphar is a chief official and Joseph is a slave. The consequence of any, there, there's no value in, in the life of a slave. So if, if they mess up, if they trip up, it's not like, okay, I'm going to write that down in your file, you know, do better next time. That's your first warning, right? That's your verbal. That's all I'm going to give you this time, Joseph. No, it's like, uh, go hang this kid, go kill him. I have no use for him. Get another slave in there. That's the consequence. So, but Joseph doesn't bring any of that up. He doesn't say, yo, I can't sleep with you because I'm going to get fired or, worse than that, your, your husband's going to kill me. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, how can I do this thing and sin against God? When we're faced with a temptation in our life, it's very easy to lie to ourselves and say, I'm the only one that's affected. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not, you know, I'm keeping it in, well, I'm not, you're not keeping it in your pants, but I'm keeping it in my room. Nobody knows. You know, nobody's getting, a, nobody's really getting a hurt by this. Now, of course, when we, you know, let's take it out a step farther. Well, you know, if I sleep with her, it's consensual. Nobody's really getting hurt from it because they want it too. However you may try to negotiate it, there's a lot of rationalizations that we may have when we're faced with the temptation. Oh, we're not going to get hurt by it. Oh, there's not going to be really a consequence with it. I might get away with it. Looking at things, uh, looking at a temptation from that point of view is such a small-minded, worldly sense of that temptation because it's so much greater than that it's so much greater than oh i'm not really hurting anybody or i'm not going to get caught or they're not going to find out whatever it may be that is not the the thing that we should be focusing on rather we should be focusing on who is really affected here what is really at stake when we give into our sexual desires and or any sin really what's the what's the real thing at stake 
It's not the relationship between you and yourself. It's not the relationship between you and a friend or you and your spouse or whatever it may be. Although those things will be affected, the greatest consequence, the greatest relationship that is affected is our relationship between us and God. In the end, that is the only relationship that we are going to be held accountable to. And in fact, when you get that relationship right, it affects all the other relationships that you have on a horizontal level. When you get that relationship with God correct, it affects everything else, how we interact with other people, how we show up to our work, how we live. It affects all of those things. And in the same way, when that relationship gets messed up, when that relationship gets divided, separated, when there's a wedge in that relationship, it also affects all those other things as well. So when we are faced with these temptations, we should be asking ourselves, the bigger picture here is not this small temptation or can I get away with it or who's going to really get hurt from this? No, it's going to be, is this going to strengthen my relationship with Christ? Is this going to grow my relationship with God or not? And if it's not, then how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? All sin, including sin that involves us and hurts other people, such as adultery, is really a sin against God. And this is something that we read in Psalms 51 where David said, My sin is ever before you, dear God. Against you only have I sinned. And in, in, in that case, in David's case, he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. He had lied to his general and, and asked him to commit murder for him. He had killed an innocent man, and now a baby was going to die because of his actions. Four other people were involved, were deeply hurt, and maybe even more, by this, the families of, of everyone that was involved. But David doesn't say, I, I hurt this person or I hurt that person, although he did. He says, against God only have I sinned. But the only way we can have that kind of attitude towards sin is if we have a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, you're not going to be worried about offending him. You're not going to be worried about living a life that pleases him either. So that's where it begins. Focus on our relationship with God. That is the only relationship that we are going to be held accountable for at the very end. And that is the only relationship that really matters in this life because when you get the relationship with God right, everything else falls into place. Every other relationship gets put in its rightful spot. And every temptation and every sin that comes in the way of creating a wedge in that relationship gets identified, gets exposed, and gets removed from our life. Now, Sister Potiphar, she did not take no for an answer. In verse 10, you know, she, she didn't say to herself, oh man, this, this is a good kid. I'm not going to mess with this kid. He's got his head on straight. No, no, no. She says, okay, all right, I see you, boy. And she comes back him. She comes back at him again. She does not give up. Sister Potiphar is a, she is a resilient one. What does Joseph do though? Does he cave in? Eh, let's find out tomorrow.